All right, it's the Dicer Screaming Podcast coming at you, recorded. Oh, nice one. That's nice and deep. Oh, robust. A robust scream for the Dicer Screaming today. Yeah, and they got a lot to scream about. We got some topic for you today. It's uh, Freeform Friday, but uh, we're going to take up the challenge offered to us by Shandy Andy. And Which I'm still excited over. Uh, I, I have been excited about this all week. Uh, thank you, Shandy Andy. For this idea, the you know this what if we're we're not giving it all away, but uh, you know we we've given a glimmering in the past, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. I'm I'm jazzed. Yeah, so uh, we'll keep you in stitches, as it were, for a little bit longer. But uh, also wanted to do a shout out to a lot of our Twitter friends and other podcasts that uh, aren't always on the Anchor Network, but. Uh, we really like their stuff. Uh, the Wheel or Woe podcast. Listen to those cats. They are really great with Joe Richter. Oh, yeah. And you, you've got to listen to uh, our, our man, the psionic platypus, uh, Brothsop. Yeah. Always, always good to hear from you, but also good to listen to you. Yeah. And uh, follow me or die, Larry Hamilton. Yes. Wherever you are out there, you gracious madman, keep it up. <laughs> uh, likewise, the folks over at Penance RPG. Yeah, they uh, always uh, been pimping our podcast and listening in on us, and uh, we don't give them enough love here on the Anchor Podcast Network. They run in a different one. I believe they're on Spotify, but uh, I could be wrong on that. But we're still willing to share the love. Right, and Hideous Laughter Podcast doing their thing with uh, <laughs> Pathfinder. And, of course, at... Uh, oh, well, stately Goth Ridge Manor. Mm, where they wear smoking jackets and smoke clever cigarettes and sip tea from silver cups. Yes. Oh, Tim Shorts, man. Yeah. <laughs> They've got nice stuff over at Goth Ridge yeah, Manor. Yeah, we wish we were half as cool as that. So, my, my halfling is planning to just load his pockets with all that loot. And, of course, uh, Find a Path podcast as well. Another ah, Pathfinder yes. one. And, of course, uh, a new friend uh, at uh, Dave... Aldridge, Aldridge, excuse me, I'm asking your name, I want to put a B there where there shouldn't be, so forgive. Uh, yeah, we gave you what for on yours with some messages here, so <laughs> you'll forgive us, uh, but yeah. Oh, you, machine gun style, it, we, we just, we blew the inbox up. <laughs> inbox full. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's at Deeper Sentinels, and of course Shandy Andy's podcast, which escapes me at the moment, shame on me. Unguarded but, Treasure. Unguarded Treasure, yeah. I the, remember it because I loved the name. The Unguarded, Unguarded Treasures. Treasure. Thank you, Mike, for saving my fat out of the fire there. Yeah. Oh, and a special kudo to my, my folks and peeps over at the uh, Perfect Storm comic and game. Carter, we love you. Mm-hmm. Gothic Madman. Uh, we've been celebrating, we've been mutually celebrating the release of the Tool album, so yeah. which has been in high rotation in these parts. Loving it. Uh, yep, so, um, well, with our shout-outs done, uh, if we missed you, you know, just put it in there. Uh, Lyrian, we're uh, also waiting to hear from you again, so if you're tuning in, uh, give us some thoughts on what we've been doing and what you like and what you don't like, of course. Uh, we're always interested in some of our uh, friends out there. Yeah, that stands for one and all. Always good to hear from anyone. Right. Huh. So uh, I think we pretty much uh, wore out that uh, shout-out. Wow. All right. Yeah, we've done shout-outs. And I feel good about it because it's been a little while. We, we've been remiss. Ding. Ding. Today's remiss has been delivered. Aha. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to try to be calling in a little bit more. 
So uh, we've been neglecting you, our apologies, but we've kind of been busy and we just basically have been able to get our podcast out on time. So that's one big thing, but I think things are settling down a little bit more. Um, yeah, we're moving out of the summer phase and into uh, a little comfortable fall and uh, things. The, the pace is slowing down from, from sheer madness and chaos uh, into something a little more stately and pastoral, hmm. uh, which I'm digging. Right on. So... Um, we're just going to uh, slip to paying the bills here in just a few moments. Uh, just to recap on the RuneQuest, uh, Greg Stafford, which uh, we'll be playing into tonight heavily. Uh, hope you enjoyed the RuneQuest. Yeah, there's going to be another brush up there. We hope you enjoyed that episode. And uh, no ducks were harmed in the making of this pod <laughs> or that podcast. This one either. Despite my best efforts. Yeah. Ducks, how to make them pay for all the evils they have committed. Ah. <laughs> uh. Mike's Recipes for Duck all Orange in Glorantha. So uh, we're going to get right to it with some advertisement, and then we're going to be right back with Freeform Friday on What If. The big so, what if. Nothing but question marks here. Question marks. Question marks. It's like the Riddler. All right, so we'll uh, sign out and be right back, so stick around. And go. And we're back, so welcome to it. We're doing our Freeform Friday. So the yes. topic is, what if? And Shandy Andy has been uh, touting this, so we're taking up the challenge from Unguarded Treasures over there. Yeah, this he was instrumental in this notion because it was just such a fun question. Uh, so, you know, interesting. Uh, so what is the question? Uh, the question is, how would role-playing games have developed... If there was no critical juncture amongst the famous war gamers, uh, obviously, you know, Arneson and Gygax had a, a moment, like a, a catalyst, a vision, where the game moved away from the war game table and suddenly transitioned into a role-playing game. Uh, that, that critical juncture, what if that never happened? What if that was just erased from the equation and it never even occurred to them? Who would have taken up the mantle or would anybody have taken it up at all? Right. How would this have happened? Would games like this even be played now at all if it weren't for that? And right. Uh, there's a point that uh, psychology utilized role-playing as a method for dealing with stress and difficult situations to isolate person from the events or look at it from a different point of view. Pretend that you are your father. Oh, yeah. And other such things. But, you know, um, that really doesn't necessitate a role-playing game. That was more of a therapeutic exercise encouraging people to look at it or break out of their comfort zones. And so... To take on a role of another person, which is heavily, of course, invested into the role-playing games today and also of yesteryear. But more so in the fact that uh, also uh, think tanks and study groups used a form of role-playing confrontation where you played uh, leaders of nations or diplomats, uh, diplomacy. Uh, also, yes, a very good example uh some of the early board games of the time uh, and strategic games uh, 
implied that you were adopting a role, but didn't necessarily cross the boundary into giving you a full and proper name. Like, right. You know, Grand Duke Leopold the Eighth. You know, you you didn't really have of Hamburgia. You know, that you didn't really have that kind of definitive structure, uh, but it was implied. Right. You know, you are a great lord in your own right, a ruler of a nation and responsible for its peoples. Uh, and your prosperity and its success hinges upon the decisions you make during this game. Yeah, that the concepts were there. Yeah, so we're going to narrow it down to uh, gaming, getting this out in a format of gaming. And not always from a wargaming perspective. And first, with a shout out, is Professor M.A.R. Barker with his Empire Petal Throne, almost right there out of the gate. I mean, just D&D came out, bam! Yeah, he was so hot on their heels uh, because there were an awful lot of people who had science fiction and fantasy creative works uh, sitting on the shelves. Things that they had, you know, carefully drafted, uh, notions they'd had, things they meant to follow up on. Uh, and the instant the Dungeons and Dragons became a thing... They followed suit uh, almost immediately, it, yeah, understandably. If he didn't but, have Dungeons and Dragons, I propose that he probably would have come out with a game system to facilitate playing in his well-developed uh, world. He is often called the Forgotten Token. True, the breadth and scope of Empire of the Petal Throne is comparable to Tolkien's work. It's just an enormous body of work. And he had developed cultures, history, gods, myths, prehistory, and different races to play that were not ascribed to your dwarf, elf, halfling sort of worldview that Tolkien permeated throughout uh, D&D. Yeah, this would have been a non-Tolkien-based uh, original campaign world. Uh, <laughs> and instead of it emerging as a kind of oddball alternative to the traditional uh, game campaign world that we now think of, uh, which, which are the, the Blackmoor and Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms. Uh, if that had been the first one to hit the market, that very likely would have characterized the types of creative games that we'd be playing today. Uh, right, and it's also probably uh, mentioned that... Uh, Something uh, aping uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, Tarzan, or John Carter. Ah, John Carter. Warlord could have uh, also elicited uh, people to create sort of a setting for them, as well as uh, Fritz Lieber with uh, uh, Bafford and the Grey Mauser and stories. Of, and, of course, uh, Robert E. Howard's Age of Hyboria yep. and uh, the Conan uh, series, which... Uh, again, fleshed out a pretty vibrant world. Uh, yeah, even like Bran McMorn or uh, Solomon Kane had a pretty uh, different take on their genres of pre uh, or post Roman Britain and also uh, Victorian era Puritan adventuring uh, Europe and <laughs> England. Yeah, that was that was a unique character, uh, Solomon Kane, the Puritan adventurer. Uh, a mercenary who had, you know, seen the light. Uh, and uh, aside from living by his own code in some respects, uh, was more rigidly uh, faithful to what he knew to be right 
uh, than most people. Right. Uh, an iron will. So maybe a game could have come out of those. Somebody wanted to facilitate it. I know that there was a John Carter Warlord of Mars game, a uh, board game that kind of put you in the role of that, but it was still a board game. But again, just like you said earlier, that it had sort of echoes of putting you there, letting you play the character, but you really weren't preforming it, kind of like we are now. <laughs> no, you were not properly freeforming it. Uh, I would love to touch on the subject of board games as a possible catalyst, because the concept of the board game, before D&D hit the shelves, Avalon Hill and others were publishing board games. And these were reasonably popular at-home entertainments, uh, in some cases popular with university students, uh, and small clubs had built up around playing those, just like wargaming clubs had developed for those who liked military miniatures. So board gaming uh, was also undergoing a little evolution, so to speak. Uh, there were people developing ideas for board games that were perhaps so out there at the time uh, that they were not finding easy venues in which to put them forward. Uh, had one of them started off by putting out a board game with a science fiction or fantasy theme, uh, the next obvious step is the same step that happened with Gygax and Arneson, where you started off on a table with a, a fixed board, a fixed field of play, and markers to represent what's taking place on the field of play, and then one day you go without the net, and yeah. you say... Let's leave the board behind. Let's leave the table. Let's take the nesty plunge. And this is just happening without the markers. It's it's happening holistically as, you know, this is... You are no longer the shoe in Monopoly. You are, you know, Steve Shusen. <laughs> just, yep, you, a you, cobbler's you, son who grew up in a hard scrabble term of life and, <laughs> you know, achieved a great deal of wealth by just being hard nosed and just putting your nose to the grindstone and getting out there and making money. Yeah, you know, as opposed to your uh, your competitor slash rival slash uh, fellow player, Bob Racecar. Yeah, Bob Racecar. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know, the, the point being that, uh, <laughs> see, this kind of stuff is exactly why we are the indecipherable jazz album oh. of <laughs> gaming podcasts. Uh, <laughs> The indecipherable jazz album of gaming podcasts. Uh, this kind of ramble. No, had that moment happened uh, with no, you know, it obviously happened with Gygax and Arneson. That last leap where they just put the rest of the stuff away and sat there with the characters and the game. Uh, had that next step not taken place for them, I think board gaming would have been the most likely place from yeah. which this would develop. And that's why I want to give a shout-out to Professor Barker. He already had a world established, and he wanted to let other people in on it. And when you have a board game that encompasses something, just say like John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and you wanted to invest players into that, even though it's a licensed property, it would have been the next step. And I think that whether the rules would have been static or more formulaic, I, I'm not really sure. Um, 
that's a really big meta question. I mean, that's that's super meta, and uh, my little pea brain is not capable of bouncing out of that, the confines of just using rules and dice. But what kind of resolution would have been different if you just, say, used different forms, like cards? Uh, what do you think would have been the big principal way of resolving conflict and task resolution? I still think dice would have ultimately played a role, principally because board games were already using dice to resolve things. Now, if you notice in Traveler, uh, like from its earliest inception, it was a simple pair of die sixes, uh, which was not uncommon, included in many a boxed game from Avalon Hill and others. Uh, So dice, still a likely means. Uh, However, the polyhedrons that are familiar to D&D, I'm not sure that that would have become as essential to gaming as it did. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the die 12s and uh, others probably would have been eschewed in favor of either the die 6 or the percentile dice, just to keep it simple. Right. And the, the last uh, possibility, uh, by way of example, although the game came much later, Vampire the Masquerade uh, used very simple resolution means like coin tosses. Or the LARP, and, yeah. Uh, you know, like for live action role play and uh, rock, paper, scissors. It was just very simple, yay or nay, win or lose. Right. Uh, so, as a facet of that, I think gaming today might have been altered to be a little less mechanically oriented. Yeah, more less of a formula. Uh, because, let's remember, I mean, wargamers like to account for every possibility. And when you're simulating a battle, there are so many random elements that can impact the way a battle goes. Mm-hmm. Is it raining today? Uh, is this field muddy? Uh, <laughs> have you acquired the high ground? Uh, has cholera struck? <laughs> um, you know, Is the centerline guns of your ship properly calibrated. Yeah. Uh, has, you know, your gunpowder supply been compromised? Uh, these small things, you know, we're going to require a dice roll for each one of these things uh, before we decide where things are at. How many of your people are battle ready? You know, oh, you've got 90% ready to roll. The other one is crippled with dysentery because he's downriver from you and they're all busy with their britches around their ankles. So they've got 60% of their troops at the ready. Uh, those are the things that mechanically had to be decided for wargaming. Take those away, and I'm willing to bet it probably would have been a much softer system, a mm-hmm. little more storytelling oriented. That's another idea. Well, yeah, and that's where we're going to lead off is that, well, we touch on, uh, we've only touched on Professor Barker right now, so. Um, but the big thing with uh, the rest of these guys is they had a world or a story or a place that they wanted to talk about. So let's talk about Mark Miller, another uh, contender that may have come out with a role-playing game without Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Mark Miller in uh, Tr- Games Designers Workshop uh, developed Traveler in 77 and published it, uh, came out, and it was immediately uh, accepted as the premier uh, science fiction role-playing game. And here was a different genre, 
Uh, Very different, ineffective play from Metamorphosis Alpha, which may indeed be the first science fiction role-playing game, but was a very different core concept. Right. It was, uh, just a real quick, uh, Metamorphosis Alpha was a a large starship that was meant to uh, travel through with suspended animation and clones and all sorts of things, and uh, something bad happened, and now you're waking up in the midst of this starship where generations have grown up under artificial conditions yeah, poisoned you may, with you may radiation. think that this uh sounds like a couple of movies you've seen and yeah all right this is the origin point for that concept yeah this alpha has been uh echoed in a number of science fiction films malfunctioning computers crazy robots uh weird androids all sorts of things are going on but traveler was the first to approach it from the auspices of a science fiction world that had uh, developed an imperium as he called it uh, based off of isaac asimov uh, tubbs and other uh, science fiction authors uh, nivens as well there was this large interstellar empire and now here you are put in the middle of this and he developed a career system rather than a class and used, as we touched on earlier, a very simple but elegant die six system for task resolution. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even give it elegant, but uh, I, would. I, I would say that it was simple and accomplished the task. It was effective, uh, but there were some inelegant moments here and there. In well, in the yeah, you, range. you reach the wall in the range of two to twelve, but you hit that wall pretty quickly. But I think for what they were doing and how it functioned, I think they did it very well, and it seemed seamless. I didn't really run into... And they like did their mathematics so that there were permutations of die six, or of two die six uh, rolls that uh, were more complicated than merely two to twelve. I yeah. mean, that was not the only range they could accomplish. They stretched two six-sided dice as far as humans could stretch them. Uh, and it became a little awkward I, at moments, but they did as much with them as any human beings I have ever seen. And I think that hits to your point you made earlier about how we would lo- uh, approach uh, skill and task res- or combat resolution without the polyhedrons. True. Um, I, I should note the Traveler came in its publishing considerably later than D&D. Oh yeah, 77. Uh, but uh, it took him a number of years to develop and refine what he was aiming for to be unique, distinct, uh, effective, and playable. And that loss of time, you know, it, it costs him certain points in our little system here for figuring out who would have been first. Uh, but, but he had a world and he had a vision for it and how it was going to come out. It took him a little bit longer because... Well, theoretically, there was a lot of people playing D&D at the time, and that did take up an enormous amount of uh, resources at Game Designers Workshop. But they were also uh, a little bit on the edge of catching what would later become the kind of epic of Star Wars. You know, Star Wars in 77 had come out. Yeah, the plucky free trader, uh, you know, with its handful of crew. And his Varger co-pilot. You know, your your co-pilot is a giant wolf man uh, named Jack. Oh, all right, that just happened. Wolf man Jack. All right. Yeah, all right. yeah so we... Boo! Boo! All right. Yeah, oh, but no. that's a good one. I always but... slip that one right in there. <laughs> yeah, the guess... slow knife penetrates the shield, yes. Uh, guess what time, you know, or guess what my next 
traveler character. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a hard one. All right. Now, um, that said, we got to hit Greg's tap. Yeah, and that's the next one is, again, a guy with a well-developed world mythology, just like Professor Barker. Very specifically hovering on the board game concept. Yeah, just he like did right, uh, on the, right on the Red Moon, White Bear, and which focused on uh, Dragon Pass in the world of Glorantha. When we talked about this in Glorantha before, he had been trying to get this board game published. And, you know, along comes Dungeons and Dragons, boom, so now the next step is to get this into print. And, of course, with Steve Perrin and Ron Turnkey, he was able to get a system together that was much different, and this used percental dice and hit locations and really delved into the nitty-gritty of personal combat, you know, blow by blow, parrying with your weapon, blocking with your shield, dodging a blow. Missile weapons are very dangerous in RuneQuest, as well as uh, hits to your limbs. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, those were unique factors of RuneQuest. But um, magic was everywhere. Rune magic, spirit magic. You know, you could summon uh, spirits elementals. You could uh, call on the powers of the gods. You know, this was all yours. Uh, that robust, well-developed system was already, you know, imagined. The, the world and its parameters uh, was already pretty well-defined. He did not have to do much to transition from his board game concepts to role-playing game concepts. Yeah, he just it opened just, everything up. Boom, like that. He was what's over it. here? You know, what's over there? Well, well, let's go and explore off the board. What's over there? Well, he already had answers for that. He didn't have to come up with new stuff. It was already in his head or on paper already. So if you're looking for a moment that was a likely what-if catalyst moment, uh, Greg Stafford, uh, right up there with M.A.R. Barker, uh, those would probably be the top two right there, you know. Right, and um, I want to give a little nod to uh, George McDonald and Steve Peterson from Champions. They had already been working around with the role, the introduction of role-playing games, but even before they played Dungeons & Dragons, uh, George McDonald wanted to do a superhero game. And uh-huh. he had already taken out the idea of doing it as a kind of miniatures game. Ah. So there, you know, again, you have kind of a limited playing field. But how would you have these fights out of the mighty Marvel tradition or DC Comics? You know, how would Batman... How would you have a Batman-type character versus uh, a Hulk? Ooh, well, the city block is getting trashed. That yeah. much is already certain. Uh, yeah, which, I mean, that's your superhero games for you right there is... Somewhere a city block is getting what for. (laughs) (laughs) Collateral damage. It happens. Uh, Do you carry superhero insurance? You do now. Uh, Well, you wish you had. Oh, no. Uh, Active superhero. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to get punched through your building. And this loses a lot of... That was another perfect spawning point for this. Yeah, he'd been looking for a way to translate his love of comic books and the situations... Particularly the battle. But, uh, you know, later as role-playing games came out there in 81, they would finally come out with their first version. But he'd been kind of kicking around the idea for several years. I'm not exactly sure in his writings and interviews what uh, he thought he would have come up with without Dungeons & Dragons. But I knew that he was definitely looking for a way to translate that into a game. And at first it was like a board game. And then, yeah, we can do this as a role-playing game when he got... 
was Steve Peterson and that crazy die six stuff that he had. So, <laughs> you know, that was just a pistol of die sixes coming at you. No. And Tunnels and Trolls was another one, of course. It was a response to Dungeons and Dragons, but, you know. It was board game like and ready to roll pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. You know, you what know. if, uh, you know, apparently, uh, with Ken no St. Andre, go ahead. Yeah, uh, with, with no D&D to be their guidepost, uh, who's to say that they might not have just gone out on a limb and said, you know, hey, Ken, let's do this. Yeah, let's do like, uh, you know, uh, Conan and, and uh, Token and stuff like that. You know, let's, let's just do a game about stuff like that where you're just, you make up a character like that. That could have happened as well. So I want to be a guy like that. And so I guess it's like five people. So we had Mark Miller, Professor Barker, uh, Greg Stafford, of course, and uh, of course we threw in uh, George McDonald and Steve Peterson. I, I want to... And uh, Ken St. Andre and uh, Rick Loomis. Touch less on a person and more on a concept. Okay. Um, and this is probably my, my last big what if. Okay. Uh, storytelling itself. Um, in the absence of a catalyst like D&D showing up and giving everybody the idea of, hey, let's play characters instead of miniatures. Uh, in the total absence of that, storytelling has always been an art form. Uh, groups like the Society for Creative Anachronism were already around. Right. You know, this did not spontaneously happen five minutes after D&D. They were, they were already there doing yeah. their thing. And unique mythologies developed. Uh, storytelling, effectively, uh, aided by live-action, effective role-play. Uh, albeit not quite in a form that we think of it today. What if it had transmogrified like this? What if it went through a moment of transition where it was one person storytelling to another, and it was instead of just dictating the story, reading aloud effectively, and it became an interactive experience, which was not unheard of when you, you think of psychological role-playing mm -hmm. exercises right. and work role-playing exercises. Steve, why don't you pretend to be the boss for a minute and, uh, you know, tell Carol how, you know, you expect this task to be undertaken. Let's let's see how you guys work this out. That kind of stuff was already there. And to take that next leap would have been to make a kind of fantasy fiction LARP where, okay, uh, let's pretend you're Frodo. How would you have done this? With the resolution being something simple like a coin toss or the interpretation of the, you know, storyteller prime. Uh, you know, somebody exercising a DM-like role or a game master role uh, and someone else describing what they do, much like a pick-a-path adventure that came later. Uh, and it would be easy to imagine if two people were having a great time doing this, another person wanders up and goes, hey, uh, what is it you got going on here? And boom, that's just how Fight Club started. Mm -hmm. oh, Next wow. thing you know, you're making soap in the basement. No, oh, I'm kidding. Geez. I'm kidding. It's not, not, ah. not like that. Uh, but it could very easily have created a very radically different dynamic for role-playing gaming uh, than we have at this moment. That would have been a really huge departure from the way we, we see RPGs today. Uh, so I, I think it's feasible. Not as likely as the board game leap, 
Yeah. But I, I think that could have provided another catalyst moment where some little fusion of elements came along said, hey, let's do a little Tolkien role-play session where, you know, uh, we're some other group of hobbits who go and get into trouble. Um, <laughs> or, you know, we're a mixed group of uh, people from Arthurian legend who uh, go and mix it up with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mordred. It could easily have fallen down those lines, uh, like, much like water, Ideas take that path of least, least resistance. resistance. Yep, and I, right I think they you. would have cut a channel that same way. Sure, and I also wanted to rule out uh, one thing that uh, somebody else, uh, when I was talking to uh, a friend of mine on the phone about this, he had an idea was about video games, and I said, "Well, video games are more passive," and I'm not saying that to detract from them because I like playing video games too, and obviously, oh, I love them, but. <laughs> They're more singular until we entered the MMORPG phase of World of Warcraft and EverQuest and Ultima. Yeah, that is a much later development. Uh, that was hindered more by technology. Uh, that and personal computing started off so very slow uh, in terms of affordability, accessibility, yep. and the ability to understand and make fullest possible use of them. So... Yeah, I mean, that's that's really... You, you stepped out of the 70s and into the early 80s. So yeah, but let's say that it didn't happen during the 70s and 80s, and then, you know, at the late end of the 80s, early 90s, oh. you know, boom, here it is. Um, we could be looking at a completely different dynamic where technology uh, is your dice, your arbiter, your rule set, everything. Oh, very... Uh... Caves of Eomon, text-based adventure. Yeah, that could have been one, too. Uh, one of the very earliest games, yeah, I yeah. recall. Uh, and we could all be dying of dysentery in Oregon, Oregon Trail. Or, Lord knows, up. I learned to hate pemmican before I even knew what it was. And also knowing that, uh, you know, how could you get ye flask? You type, get ye flask, and it says, you cannot get ye flask. And you would sit there and have to wonder, well, how come you could not get ye flask? Yeah, I know it's here for a reason. I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to pass this up. I think they just put it there to mess with you. Yeah, I think they did too. But <laughs> all right, well, there's there's our challenge. That's where we would be. Uh, yeah, video games, not really. I don't think uh, as much as a purview. I'm not trying to dismiss them. Oh, I think they would have uh, had radically different founding influences. Uh, video games would have been impacted by this. What if too? Because video games were so profoundly impacted by role-playing games, there is a serious likelihood that if role-playing games had not emerged out of wargaming, then the video game byproducts that we play today would be very, very different. Uh, they would, you know, be plotted out in radically different ways. They would be set in, in different atmospheres. Uh, who knows? We, you know, we could be playing Empire of the Petal Throne, the you know RPG, uh, you know, computer game. Exactly. But all right then. Well, as you hear those police sirens, that means that they're after us. So. Oh Lord! They, yeah, we're we're uh, soon to be charged with excessive podcasting. All right. So we'll take that <laughs> as our cue to move along. We've abused your eardrums and your patience for far too long now. We're going to catch a charge on that one, too. Yeah. Eardrum abuse of the highest order. Oh, I believe that's like a felony, man. Yeah, it's class 5 felony, man. All right, so 
we're going to wrap it up here. But uh, again, if you have any comments or questions or concerns, because you should have a lot of concerns listening to us. Oh, um, boy. You can, uh, of course, get hold of us on our uh, Facebook group, uh, The Dice is Screaming, as well as on Twitter, where you can get hold of me at Death Hand Gaming. And myself at Magi Vox. Yeah, and let us know what you think. And again, thanks to Shandy Andy for providing us for some preformed Friday yeah, topic. Yeah, and I, I hope you could tell that like I was pretty riled up on yeah, this one. We I, pretty... I just lots of fuel for the mind. It was just a wonderful topic. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, and again, thank you, Shandy Andy of Unguarded Treasures, for this. So I uh, hope you we uh, answered a few of the questions and gave you some food for thought. But until next time. May the, May the dice, dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.